Here we go. Roller coaster's ticking up. About to go off. Well, like we're not there yet, right? We got a little bit, a little bit of pre-show happening, right? Right, and then ah, we're gonna go down into it. So right, we're still in the, the part right here. Okay. Okay. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I was thinking the other day that maybe people should stop shooting in 1080p on modern mirrorless cameras. It's a bold statement, but that is actually something I've wondered because you know you see all those settings on there, all these different options for frame rates and bit rates and all that. And sometimes I wonder, like, is there a is there a reason to use some of that lower stuff? Well, here's my thought: is like the bigger, the more resolution you get. You know, it used to be like 1080p was a sweet spot, and you could get like down sample 1080p. But it seems like more and more the 1080p option on your mirrorless camera is line skipped, mm-hmm. not bend. Yeah. It's like they don't even really try to, like they, there's no reason they couldn't. They probably mm-hmm. have the processing power to do things like that, but they just don't really, they kind of phone it in on the 1080. Yep. But like you, you keep seeing it. You're like, wow, the 4K is really good because this is a 6K sensor. It's oversampling and then you're getting a 4K image. But then you go and you shoot in 1080p and it's like, it's line skipped. It's not bend. Or it's been done landscape, but it's not like oversampled and then brought back down. Right. And they're not pulling down the resolution into a 1080p. And so like your 1080p is just worse. It's not as sharp. It doesn't look as good. And I get like it's a lower resolution, but it's almost like the camera companies aren't putting as much effort into it because people are just going to shoot in 4K anyway. And I feel like whereas on my X-T3, I would just, I would just shoot in 1080p if I was shooting for like... Oh, this is just like a, a family thing or whatever. I'm just you know, shooting a video to have the video. I'm going to shoot in 50 megabit per second. I'm going to shoot in 1080p. And I feel like that's not a good option anymore. Yeah, I kind of feel that way too. Hmm. I don't know. I don't find myself wanting to shoot in 1080 that often anyway. You know, you talk about like the, this is just a family video type mentality. But my thing is when I look at pictures that were taken 15 years ago with a digital camera, you know, they're all really low resolution Yep, and that's kind of frustrating. And I feel like as time goes on, we're going to get higher and higher resolution screens. I mean, stuff like Apple vision pro or, you know, someday we're going to have 8k TVs everywhere. And I don't know. I, I feel like in 20 or 30 years, I'm going to appreciate it. If even my family video style things are in 4k. Yeah, I can, I probably tend to agree on that, you know, get get the higher resolution because it's going to age better. But I mean, is there is there room for 1080p anymore? I feel like it's going going away. I mean, the only thing I can really think of where I'd feel okay with that is something like a quick social media video, you know, you just want to like mm-hmm. post a clip on Instagram or something. It's going to get compressed like crazy anyway, so maybe it's fine, but I don't know. If I'm was, if i taking the time to pull out a mirrorless camera and shoot video on it, and I know I'm going to have to copy it to a computer and do whatever, I feel like I'd rather just shoot 4K. Well, it seems like most delivery methods are still 1080p as like the final point of consumption, either because of, you know, data streaming rates or maybe it's like an old projector or maybe for some reason it's nfl football and so they're just going to broadcast it in 1080p because they don't know how to do 4k and it's like most of the time it feels like it's ending in some sort of like around 1080p maybe 2k resolution yeah it's a small portion of someone's screen because they're watching it in in vertical on their ipad or something Mm -hmm. with giant black bars and it's not even it's not even close to 4k i mean like an ipad isn't 4k resolution yeah right Retina, it's not, yeah, it's like 3,000 something pixels, right? I think right? that's right. Yeah. yeah, so like anything that you consume it on, whether unless it's like an actual, you know, UHD TV, 
no one's watching it in 4K. Right. But I still feel like you're going to you're getting the better the best version of it by shooting it and capturing it in 4K and then letting it be down resed on the on the final end instead of the other way around where you're having to up res it from 1080. I agree. And you never know when you're going to want to punch in or something and sure. it's nice if you have the pixels to do that. Yeah. I don't know, do you think camera companies should be caring about 1080p anymore? Like should the I don't know, the FX30 have a, a mode where it can bend from 6.2K down to 1080p. Yeah. I mean, not been, but like, you know, oversample. Not really. I mean, I don't know. I I guess more features are generally better than fewer features, but I would rather them spend time on other things. And if I really want a 1080p version, I could use whatever, you know, FFmpeg or whatever tools to do that downsampling myself. I think that's reasonable. I mean, you know, in a perfect world, sure. But, you know, we, we live in a world where companies like Sony don't bring features to older cameras. Mm-hmm. Companies like Fuji take five firmware versions to put ISO on a dial. I would rather see camera companies spending their time doing things like that rather than focusing on a mode that I'm never going to use and most people are never going to use. Because, I mean, think about most people, you know, that buy a camera and shoot video on it. They want the highest resolution they can get. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, they're not, they're not 4K using 60. these, these uh, smaller modes. Yep, yep, that makes sense. Uh, what if, uh, so So I guess maybe if you only need 1080p, buy like a five-year-old camera. Well, Because that's where we're going to have the better, maybe that's going to have better 1080p. Maybe. I mean, it's, it's also a lot cheaper, right? You know, mm-hmm. I think knowing what your needs are is important and not everyone needs a brand new camera. 4K 60s, like you said, most, most things are not actually like shipping in 4K 60, so... I do think a lot of times we get really caught up on these specs and we think about why we would, we, we try to invent reasons why we would use these things and want these things. But the truth is that you don't always need that. I found a C100 for $540 on Adorama. There you go. I mean, that's pretty, it's pretty that, cheap. That's a home, that's a home video camera right there. Yeah, it is. All right. That's it. I'm going to, I'm going to switch to switch to 1080 and I'm just going to go get a C100. <laughs> And that's another inter- interesting point, though. You know, you see, you see some of those older cameras, like C C one hundred, or the, even the original C two hundred, and the specs on those things are really not that impressive. If you look at the frame rates and things like that, it's not the frame rate and resolution. I guess it's not that great, but those cameras are just in a set in a different class. I mean, the the footage from them looks really good, and. I mean, it just kind of shows you that not everything comes down to the specs. Daniel, a used C200 is still $2,600. Is it? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think it was that expensive. <laughs> I think people understand that it's not just the specs. Yeah. Look at the <laughs> look at the C100, though. I mean, like, look at the specs on the C100. And that was a that was a really well-respected camera when it was when it was popular. 17 megapixels, 420. What's this, what is this variable bitrate garbage? I can't. No. No, thank you. I don't want one of these anymore. I'm just going <laughs> to stick with my Fuji. <laughs> oh, no. I'm, I'm stuck in the spec trap. It was, it was my whole thing. Was I was going to shoot in 1080p, mm-hmm. and I did not care about specs, and now I'm looking at this, and I just can't. I just can't. Oh, well. I think you should get a C100 as your home video camera. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Oh, let me go get the camera. The dogs are doing something cute. Just <laughs> so whip this thing out. <laughs> so they're like, ah, what are you doing? <laughs> why, did, why did everybody stop? <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Let's get into the show. Let me just like 
It's not summer's not over. Let me take my shirt off and then we can get started. All right. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. I need to look up when the original Pixie camera came out. I think it came out in like 2017. There was an original Pixie camera. 2018 was when it was announced. And then I think it came out in 2020. One, there's another one that came out in 2023. There's been like two or three versions of this thing. Okay, I don't know what you're talking about, so tell me what this is. If you so so, it's safe to say that you've never heard of the Pixie camera. I have not. This thing, Daniel, is like if you like to do photography, this is for you. If you want to experience the just taking photos, this is for you. Which I, I assume that describes you very well. No, obviously. Okay. Yes. So, uh, manual focus only. There's of no, course. There's no autofocus on this. Thing. Who who needs it? That's what I say. Yeah. It's a crutch. It's a rangefinder style. Okay. And within the rangefinder, you, you, you know the difference between like a rangefinder and just like a traditional mirrorless. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like where the, where the viewfinder is and all that and how right. the viewfinder works. But also like... In some modern mirrorless, like the X100, no, that's not what it's called, the X-Pro 3, because there isn't an X-Pro 4 yet, it has the option to spring, like you can look through the rangefinder, mm-hmm. or you can bring up a digital display yeah. and like see it as like, like an EVF. Yeah, you can have just like an optical viewfinder on those cameras. But like the point of a rangefinder, the traditional rangefinder, is that it's a, it's, you look through the glass... You don't see what the camera sees, but it has little frame lines for like, this is, this is what a 35 millimeter would be. This is like 50 millimeter and 23 millimeter or something. And that's it. Like you see everything you, when you change lenses, it doesn't change what it looks like. You just have to like know where the frames are and that's it. Right. It's for street photography. Yep. So this is a digital range finder of that nature. There is no like screen that you can see what you're shooting through okay and you put your you go put your leica m mount lenses on it then you can buy some there's some there's some like voigtlander ones that are like 500 bucks so you can get ones that, that aren't expensive but you can also go out and get your ten thousand dollar you know leica m mount lenses and if you're doing photography you're going to be getting those like well yeah lenses. i mean you kind of you kind of get the leica lenses that's what anyways that's not the point here daniel this camera is aps-c Right, so it's smaller. It's a very small camera, and uh, the screen is really, really cool through the viewfinder because, like, whenever you change your lens, your lens mount on it, it will you can will put digital frames on there for you, oh, cool. so you can like see your framing, which so is kind of cool. It knows what the focal length of the lens is, and it gives you a frame that's appropriate for it. Is that, that what you mean? That's that's what I understand. That's cool. Or maybe that you just like toggle through it with a switch. Okay, and then you can like match it to your lens. There is no screen on this camera. At all. Oh, interesting. So even after the shot, you still can't look at the shots that you took? Correct. Okay. Wow. Also, I'm lying. There is a screen on it. It's on the top. It's a little black digital display so that you can see like what your what your settings are. Oh, sure. Like shutter speed and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A okay. little, little bit of feedback. It has a digital light meter on it. So you can like, it has, it's got like two little triangles, like, like greater than less than, but the other way around. Mm-hmm. And then it has a green dot in the middle. And then you can see it'll light up like left or right. Or green, depending upon your exposure, so you can like 
do your light metering oh, and like good. check your exposure. Yeah. I mean, I use that a lot on, on on like our cameras. Yeah, sure. Like the little digital exposure meter that goes yeah. up and down. So it's got that. And then it has like little display. And then it's just a rangefinder. Mm-hmm. And it takes digital pictures. And it has no interchangeable battery and has no card slots. Oh, wow. That that escalated quickly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about all that. And it's electronic shutter. And according to whenever it came out, like earlier this year, it had the uh, a higher DxO mark score than both the current like current Leica rangefinder cameras and Fujifilm rangefinder cameras. So, in other words, it's a really good sensor in that camera. Someone said that it's the same sensor as what's in the XT4, and but XT4 is X trans, so I guess like this one has a this one has a bear sensor filter mm-hmm. array on it. So I don't know if it really is the same sensor, but yeah. it's very similar. It's 26 megapixels. Backside illuminated, not stacked, APS-C, bare color mm-hmm. array. Yeah. Interesting. What do you think, Daniel? I mean, there's obviously some features in that that are not appealing. Like, I think that it's nice to have a screen. I mean, I I turn off the feature that shows you your picture after, right after you've taken it. I think everybody should turn that off. I think that's a ridiculous feature. But, I mean, I... I like being able to just like sanity check and make sure my settings are correct. Like I'm kind of getting the stuff I want. So that would be a little annoying, I think. But I mean, overall, I guess I'm kind of into the idea. I think it sounds like one of those cameras that makes you focus on, like you said, you know, doing photography or like it kind of makes you focus on taking the pictures because it seems like you probably don't have as many settings to work with. It's kind of forcing you to do some thinking on your own. So Mm -hmm. I think it sounds kind of cool. Yep, and uh, it, it it shoots everything in GPR raw, so which is based on like D. It's like a DNG, but more open source type mm-hmm. file. So like okay. it's, you know compatible with all the Lightroom stuff. Yeah, uh, you can shoot up to sixteen bit in your photos if you're shooting monochrome. Nice, which is kind of cool. Shooting monochrome, obviously. Oh, I'm gonna get into that. Uh, but it's like uh, you know most cameras are fourteen bit, so like it's like here's a really good range file style. <laughs> range style. Rangefinder style camera. Nailed it. Yeah. Sounds neat. It's got a, they're, they're touting that it's got a 64 bit processor in it. Oh. So it, pro- so it processes things with uh, more, more, uh, bits. more bits. More yes. bits, right? <laughs> Apparently that's like a big deal for some reason. Uh, Do I cameras have 32 bit processors in them, Daniel? I don't know anything about that stuff. Yeah, I'm not really, I don't like tracking the specs on camera yeah. processors, but they thought this was really important mm. because. It's it's a it's a whole deal, and so yeah. like they're like we can do things faster. So like little rolling shutter is really good, even though it's an electronic shutter. And I just thought this thing was like super super crazy interesting because it's like internal memory, no like how internal you, battery. How do you get the pictures off? You plug it into your computer and pull them off. Uh, okay, yeah. Or you could use you can use the app and copy them to your phone. And it's probably fine. I mean, it's not. Uh, oh, oh, so there is an app. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean. Honestly, like that's that's probably not going to be a big deal just because this is not the kind of camera that you're going to shoot thousands of pictures with. You're not shooting video, no. I assume. No, and no, so, no. like, your files aren't going to be that big. I don't know. Sure. It seems fine. Yeah. It's, I think it's pretty stinking cool, Daniel. Yeah, it is I, was, pretty cool. I was like, I'm, I'm kind of into this. How much this does this thing cost? Oh, oh, how much do you think it costs? <laughs> I can see our show notes, so I know how let much me, it costs. Let me, uh, let me, let me first, first kind of explain to you how 
These things are hand-built to order in France. Mm, it's the France part that's really going to cost mm-hmm. you. And yeah. so you can only purchase them in euros, mm-hmm. and it will be 2700 of those euros. That's painful. If that camera was $1,000, I would I would probably consider it as a replacement for like my X-T30. It, it, it feels like it kind of fits that sort of mentality mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. I just want to take this and have fun with it, and I'm not going to shoot a wedding or an event with it, you know, but just like as a camera to carry around sounds really cool. But man, that's a lot of money. I mean, I feel like it's worth the extra 1,700 euros for it to be handmade in France. Yeah, by some angry French person. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they're not angry. Maybe not. I mean, they're just, they're just building these things. They're, they're like soldering the, the pieces. <laughs> they probably like etch their name inside. Uh, I yeah. mean, this, this is like the AMG of cameras, <laughs> except it's French, not ger- German. I mean, to me, the the question here is like this versus like a Q3. Well, well, let me explain something to you about why you might pick this over that Q3. Okay. For one, Q3's got a dumb screen on the back. It's just extra weight. Why would you need that? Yeah, it's a crutch, just like like autofocus. Daniel, do you know why people shoot in monochrome and why it's different than if you shoot in color and then just try to convert it later? I think it's just because they want to be more hipster. They just want to commit to that monochrome. When you put the color filter in front of the sensor, it cuts down on light. If you get a monochrome only Q2, it has an extra like third stop of light gathering capability. I do you think I remember you saying that mm-hmm. when we talked so about the Q2 before? Lower noise, clean like every like the way that it captures the light is cleaner and different and has like a lower noise floor than if you did the conversion later. And then you get people who are like super, super, super into this sort of thing can like see the difference mm-hmm. supposedly from what i understand so is this camera monochrome only this camera is has a bare filter array but they're doing this like super weird proprietary something something where they bypass the filter array whenever you go into monochrome mode oh weird. and you can shoot monochrome raw files and when you're in monochrome you can't like, it's not like in the Fuji where I shoot in like Acros or Monochrome. I get raw files that are in color and it's like a color profile applied. When you shoot in Monochrome on this camera, you're getting black and white Interesting. raw because it is it is bypassing the color filter array using I this. How that, I mean, is it like a mechanical thing? Are they like pushing it out of the way? It seems really I, weird. They're not pushing it out of the way. It has to do with like how the they, they use the sensor and how it filters the light. And uh, they don't really get into like too many details because it's kind of like, their their big deal That's or whatever sauce exactly so you know they don't want people coming out here yeah you know stealing their their you know monochrome switch or whatever that's pretty cool yeah, that is pretty cool so now that you know that you can shoot in you know real deal monochrome you're gonna pay twenty seven hundred dollars for this camera I mean I'm personally not super into shooting in monochrome I get I get the appeal of getting more light or whatever but I most of the time when I shoot something and try to make it black and white, I feel like I like the color one better. So, I, Yeah, the only time that I like black and white images more than color images is like if I'm shooting something in harsh lighting and yeah. I just can't like, I can't get, get it to look the way I want. Usually you flip that puppy over into black and white. Sure. And now like the way the harsh lighting is all of a sudden interesting. I've done it sometimes for event stuff where we just had bad lighting for some reason or a lot of noise or whatever. And sometimes black and white can basically save an image that wasn't otherwise good. But I, it just feels very niche to me. And, and most of the time I would rather have the color and be able to, to choose after the fact whether to use that or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you it's like... 
It's like you got to commit, right? Yeah. And also, remember, you can't see this beforehand, Daniel. You're, you're, you're shooting in monochrome, but you, unfortunately, we can't make our eyes shoot in monochrome. <laughs> I don't have anything to say to that. Unless <laughs> you're one of the lucky few who who is colorblind. <laughs> hey, let me ask you on this camera, how do you focus? Manually. But but how do you know when you're in focus if you're if it's oh, a it's, range it's got finder. like a it's got like one of those rangefinder like um where it has like two Im- two split like a split after thingy where it's got like the okay. two images and then as you focus it the little square in the middle kind of like comes into focus. I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. That's like classic yeah. film style focusing tools. Mm. Man, I mean it's just you really got to I mean I know this is what people did back in the film days, you know, you couldn't see your shot before you took it, but in the age of digital cameras, it's you've got to have a lot of uh, confidence in your abilities to get mm-hmm. anything good without being able to look and see if you're anywhere on the same page on your settings. Yep. And this is like this is as close as you're going to get to shooting film, but on digital cuz like you got to shoot it, you're not going to know what it's going to look like till you're going to pull it in for processing, yep. then you're going to have to process your raws. The JPEGs seem like they're pretty good. I look at a lot of JPEGs out of this camera. Mm-hmm. Good colors. They got like that, uh, the way that the, it renders the yellows is very Leica-esque, mm-hmm. where like it's not like super, super saturated. It has that um, that like dull yellow look. I don't know how else to describe it, uh, but but it's it looks good. So do you think you would ever get this camera? This camera? Uh, no. Just because it's too expensive? No, because it doesn't have X-Trans, Daniel. <laughs> Haven't you been following this show for the last year? <laughs> <laughs> it's not made by Fujifilm, so I'm not interested. Yeah, so it doesn't say, uh, it doesn't say... Fuji on the front of it, so I can't like put it in my bag that's covered in Fuji film patches. That's true, and like pull this monstrosity out. The only monochrome I like is Acros. <laughs> that's not monochrome. It's close. <laughs> oh, it's all black and white. It's all the same. Yeah, people will be writing in for days. <laughs> like, how dare you? Yeah, you mongrel. <laughs> anyway, cool camera. Not for me, but cool camera. I thought this was just like. This is like on the far extreme of like, let's make a camera that where you like, it's not about the camera at all. And it's about, you know, photography. Like this is, this is all the way over there. Yeah. I mean, I thought the X pro three was pretty far on that train with like, you know, having the screen that you have to flip open to see, mm-hmm. you know, and all that. But this is definitely it. Yeah. This step. is, this is the, this makes the X pro three look like a filthy casual camera. It really, it really does. Yep. I like it. I'm into it. I would, if I was really, really into doing street photography, like I would, I would probably buy one of these. It'd be an easier sell than a Leica. I mean, it's it's half the price. Yeah. So you know, there's that. Yeah, you'd be, able, you'd be able to buy almost one lens with that cross mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, I mean, if you buy the Voilander ones, you can. There's some decent like f two ish, you know, twenty three, twenty seven millimeter. I guess yeah. like for this one, ideally, you'd be shooting on twenty seven millimeters. Yeah. Yeah. So classic street photography. Hmm. Anyways, cool. that's it. I thought the camera was super fun, yeah. and I've heard very little press about it, which is why I was like, "What in? What is this? Is this new? The one you're talking about? Is this pretty new? It was released like the December last year. Okay, so it's fairly new. Yeah, but it's almost a year old at this point. Pretty cool. Well, so you better get your orders in. Yeah, because you know now that we've talked about it. People are going to be clamoring for this thing. Yeah, yeah, they're going to sell out. I mean, that that one French guy is going to have a really hard time uh-huh. keeping up with all these yeah, orders. Yeah, he's going to be like that that other guy that that hand beveled those lenses for for Canon. Yep. and was the only one that did it. It's going to be the same deal. Yep, right. We're yep. just going to we're just going to that guy's going to be working over the weekends. Now. We're just giving this guy job security. That's okay. what we're here for. Sure. Yeah, that's what we're here for. Pretty cool. Okay, that's not a new camera. Let's talk about a new camera. <laughs> 
so new, not even announced yet. <laughs> I think there's a word for that, and it's called a rumor. Sure. Now, are you familiar with the ZFC Nikon camera? Yeah, that's the one they have that looks classic. It looks honestly, it looks like a Fuji camera. Yeah, yeah. It's like Nikon said to themselves, "What if we made a Fuji camera?" They saw how great food. Everyone's like, "Oh, we love these Fujis. Let's make a Nikon version of that, mm-hmm. but not do the thing that makes Fuji special, which is all the film simulations." <laughs> like, you know what I think about when I think about Nikon retro design and all the color science. It's <laughs> just those Nikon colors. It's what I want. Yes, all about those Nikon colors. And when I'm talking about the Nikon colors, I'm talking about all the different colors you can get the ZFC in. Ooh. You can get it wrapped around with like pink or teal or yellow. Which is honestly pretty cool. And Very. I wish more cameras did that. Because it's neat being able to get something that feels custom and feels like you picked the, the design. Oh, yeah. Very, very fun. So, you know, big complaint about the ZFC and maybe even... Actually, no one's complaining about this for Fuji. People who shoot Fuji are just, they get it. APS-C is the way. Right. But Nikon shooters, they want their full frames. Mm-hmm. They well, want, I mean, if nothing else, they probably have a lot of full frame lenses and they want to be able to use them, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of these uh, a lot of these Nikon Z-mount lenses are full frame. Mm-hmm. Very few uh, very few not full frame. You have to go buy those, those Sigma primes yeah. if you want APS-C. So, rumors about the Nikon ZF com- coming in hot. This is a full-frame Nikon camera in the style of the ZFC. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I could see people being interested in that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it, it looks like it's probably going to have the same sensor as the Z6 Mark II. Okay. Which, as you and I know, both came out in, like, what, 2017, 2019? I don't know when it came out. I that's can't like keep a, up with Nikon's cameras. <laughs> it's because they're coming out with them so fast, right? Yeah. Constantly. Yeah, so it's 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 not like the newest sensor, but they are going to pair it with the newest processor. Okay, so that's what people are rumored. So like it's mm-hmm. similar to like the XS twenty. Take the old sensor, grab the new processor. You can like read faster. You can do more with it, and you're really kind of you know pushing pushing the limits of what that sensor can do. Sure, because you, you have the better the better processing power. Cool. So you know, seems pretty neat. Twenty six megapixel full frame. I don't know. Going to have a lot of those Z eight autofocusing features. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think that's a great idea. You know, like, I think people do like that retro type styling. They want a camera that feels a little unique and doesn't seem like a, you know, generic black DSLR. I mean, we were just talking about that Pixie camera and that's kind of like super on the hipster end, but you and I both shoot Fuji and that has some of these same sorts of qualities. And I mean, I think we're seeing that all the digital stuff's really cool, but people still want something that feels, you know, a little bit retro or feels more like artsy, I guess, than what we see from a lot of cameras. So, I mean, I can see why they would do this and it's neat to have it kind of have that look to it, but still have all of the modern features and stuff like that. Right. And it does seem like it is a, it is a straight up modern camera and that like, it's got the full frame sensor. It looks like it'll, it's like 100 to maybe, it'll probably be like 100 to like 6,400,000 ISO. Yeah. So maybe not like the noise performance of a Sony, but you know, it's gonna be right up the middle for, you know, here's a good mid range Nikon camera rumored to cost. I mean, it's probably gonna cost like $2,000. Yeah. I think is what people are yeah. saying. So, you know, right around that. But, I mean, it sounds like the specs kind of line up with that price. Yeah, exactly. Like, here's this baseline spec. You know, it can shoot video, do like 10-bit 4K 30 kind of thing. Maybe it just shoots 4K 60 with a crop. Very similar to like the Panasonic S5 II level of of like video photo specifications. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is a cool camera in that 
Like it meets the base requirements for like what you want out of a photo camera. But for me, the reason I really like shooting on like my X-T3 and like the X-T4, X-T5 style cameras is it just makes like total sense to my brain. And I've given, I've given that camera to other people and they're like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing with this. I don't know how to use it. Mm -hmm. And like, there's two different, I don't know. To me, there's like two different ways you can, you can go out and shoot photos. You can like, like you have all your controls and like you can set like your back wheel and your other back wheel and your front wheel to like your different settings. Like you have your exposure, triangle of aperture, shutter speed, and ISO. And like you can set each of your dials to one of those. And it's kind of like the same idea is that like you roll whichever one. But then you have your like your PSAM or whatever. So you can like set it into aperture priority or shutter speed priority. And I feel like that's a different way of thinking about how to shoot. Yeah, I think so. Versus like if you have this retro style where you have your three dials and if you want to put it into some sort of like auto mode, like maybe you set your ISO to auto, but then you're manually setting your shutter speed and your aperture or you can set your shutter speed to auto and then manually set your aperture mm-hmm. and your, it's like you can pick. You, ha- you have the same capabilities. Like you can, you can basically mimic shutter speed priority, mm-hmm. but you do have to approach it differently and think about it differently. But you also can do things that are slightly different. Like you can set your, ISO, but then you can put your aperture and your shutter speed into into auto. Yeah. And so now you're shooting like an ISO priority, which yeah, that doesn't really exist on PCM. Right. Exactly. So like you kind of have more flexibility of like what's set and what's an auto, and then you and all like each click is a third stop depending mm-hmm. upon your dial, and you kind of like learn where those are physically, and then you can also like physically look at your camera. And know, okay, what what are my settings? And before like you even turn it on. Yeah. And the ZFC is laid out almost exactly like that kind of camera, like an X-T3. You have your ISO on the dial on the left. You got your shutter speed on the dial on the right. And then you're relying on your lens to have an F-stop. Right. Which not all of Nikon's lenses have well, F-stop Similarly, dials. that's my frustration with doing that kind of stuff on Fuji sometimes is that most of the lenses I have don't have that uh, that setting. Well, I guess most of mine do have it, but the lens I use the most is the 17 to 70, right. and that does not have an aperture ring. And so I end up with a different control scheme depending mm-hmm. on what lens I'm using, which I don't like. Well, see, if you were just shooting all you know name brand Fuji lenses, yeah. this wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Unless, yeah. unless well, maybe you they accidentally can update that sixteen to fifty five, and then maybe I'll consider that. There you but. go. If you if you did if you had bought the the eighteen to one twenty power zoom, mm-hmm. that one doesn't have an aperture ring on no, it, it which not. was shocking. To yeah, me. that's a weird, it's a weird decision. Huge deviation from them because all their lenses or other lenses have it, but like Nikon doesn't have that tradition, mm-hmm. and they don't have that backlog of all these lenses with aperture rings. So that maybe like that part gets a little weird because now like you have this one control that has to be digital. Yeah. But for me, I like that make it makes so much sense to me. Whenever I'm like learning how to shoot mm-hmm. and I'm thinking of like, okay, what's what's the exposure triangle and like what do each of these things do? Like having a physical control for each one makes total sense to me. And I can just like look at it and, and like tweak them and, and get, yeah. it, get it to where it's going to be. I think the problem for most people though is that that's not how they've learned to use cameras. Right. So because most people are not really starting from zero, they've used a point and shoot camera or you know, even their phone camera or whatever. And so it's intimidating to them to see all these controls and they don't know mm-hmm. how to deal with them. And I mean, I have that problem when I use your camera just because I don't use it very often. Right. I shoot in manual almost all the time on my on my uh, X-H2S. And even on your Panasonic cameras and your yeah, Canon it's, it's before just, that. It's just what I've always done and mm-hmm. it's how I understand 
photography and I like having the control and I don't like the feeling of using auto stuff. So like I would be the perfect market for a camera like that, but because I don't use it regularly, I can look at your camera and figure out how to use it, but it just takes me a moment, you know, and I have Mm -hmm. to like, wait, where's this, where's this control at? Oh yeah. I have to go and like change the style. And it's just, it is a different way of thinking. It is. It's, it's not, it's not that much harder. It's just like, you have to kind of like turn that switch in your brain. I do find it frustrating that on the X-T30, it's not the same. Like the way that those dials, those dials don't all line up and like you're, you're missing the shutter speed dial. Is that right? Uh, I think you get the shutter speed dial, but you don't have an ISO dial. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's a weird decision to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I guess maybe it's, it's either a cost thing or a space thing. And I understand that, but man, I sure would have loved to just had all the dials because having a subset of the dials feels like a really weird compromise. I like the way that they did it on the X-Pro3, I think it was, where the top it has one top dial, but it's like it has an outer dial and an inner yeah. dial, and you kind of like click it up or down, yeah. and then one is the ISO and one is the shutter speed. It, it's funny because if I'm shooting pictures outside, you know, if I'm doing like a street photography style thing, then shutter speed probably is the one that I would want to be changing because that's how I would control my light. But a lot of the stuff that we shoot is indoors right. or we're shooting video. And when I'm doing, especially for shooting video, I don't really want to change my shutter speed at all. And if I'm shooting indoors, I'm probably going to have the shutter speed on the minimum that I think I can get away with. Right. And then I'm going to use ISO to change my exposure. And so I think the answer is to just put ISO in auto and just let it go. But sure, if I was going to have a physical dial for the type of shooting I do, I would actually prefer to have an ISO physical dial rather than shutter speed. Yeah, that makes sense because you're not, which one are you kind of riding up and down yeah. depending on your lighting conditions? Yeah, it's just interesting. Like, you know, they, they made the decision about what to optimize for. Mm-hmm. And that's the downside to the physical approach is that they're deciding what you have access to rather than you. So you don't subscribe to the concept of setting your ISO to 100 and then like disabling the control that makes it change so that you're always shooting at 100 because of noise? it's just going to be too dark most of the time, right? Like, how am I going to shoot at 100? Come on. I'm just saying, like, some people strongly believe that you should never shoot more than base ISO. Well, those people are not shooting in the dark. That's all I can say. It's called ISO invariance, Daniel. Mm, Yeah. Just just boost it in post. (laughs) I want my JPEGs to be usable. Yeah. Anyway. All that to say, I guess guess what you're saying is that this new uh, full-frame Nikon ZF camera, I mean presumably it would have these physical controls. Is that that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to have all the physical. It's going to be like the ZFC, right? That's what the rumor is that it's going to be a ZFC, but full frame. No, I think that's great. I mean, I think that, you know, most full frame, every other full frame Nikon camera right now is not that way. It's like the PSAM style. So Mm -hmm. giving users the choice is great. I mean, that's why I was excited when Fuji came out with the X-H2 and the X-H2S and they were PSAM because it felt like now you can, basically pick do i want a high-end fuji camera that's physical controls then maybe i'll get the xt5 if i don't want that then i get an xh2 so it yeah. seems like nikon's doing something similar yep yep i appreciate the choice i think the zf this rumored zf is like right up the middle for me if i was in the nikon world or even not like i talked a lot about how you know like the x pro geez not the x pro 3 we just talked about that one the x100v and like the Ricoh GR cameras and, you know, those old, those fixed lens, full frame or APC like fixed lens kind of cameras. And I'm like, man, it'd be cool to have, you know, a real small fixed lens, full frame version of that. 
And I feel like the ZF is going to be pretty close to what that is, even though it's not. It's like interchangeable lens. And I guess it's like, why not just get an X-T5? And it's right. like, well, this one's full frame. Yeah. Yep. So, I don't know. What, what more do you need? It's full frame. Yeah, exactly. It's supposed to have the same battery as the uh, as the, the Z8 and the, and the Z7 Mark II. And right. so, like... Okay. Smaller camera, good battery. Maybe it, well, and, and maybe that means it pairs well as a second camera. You know, if yeah. you if you have a Z8, but you want something that's mm-hmm. physical controls for like your you know casual shooting needs, sure. then you could use the same battery. Maybe like this is just plus. like your travel photo camera, yeah. but like in a pinch, you could use it for B roll because it's probably going to have that you know ten bit four K whatever. Yeah, it'll probably shoot raw internal. I don't know. They'll, they'll probably stack it with video specs just mm-hmm. to just to hit the specs. They can. Well, you know, it's got. I feel like the video specs on mirrorless cameras. Or kind of the thing that or is being pushed right now, like that's what sells sells things. Yeah. Even though it, it seems like a lot of people just buy cameras for for photos. Well, well, and, <laughs> and this is this kind of calls back to our uh, pre-show thing too about the 1080p, where right, I you know, so many people I think buy cameras based on specs, even if they will never use those things. Right. And that's probably the case with this. I mean, how many people buy a camera and they just picture themselves starting their YouTube channel, shooting a bunch of video? And then the reality is what they use that camera for is taking pictures of their family, pictures on vacation. Yeah. I mean, like looking at the rumors for the ZF, I I would not buy this for video. Mm-hmm. It's cool that it can shoot. It'll probably be able to shoot like 4K 24, 4K 30 and all that sort of thing. But that can't be the main reason why you're buying this one. It has to be, you know, like a secondary thing. But I think that makes sense. I mean, that's that was me with the X-T30. I, I was glad it had video features and... I did have in mind that I could use it as a B cam with my X-H2S, but I wasn't buying it specifically to shoot video. Mm-hmm. And this is a higher end camera than the X-T30, but I think the same rule applies. Yep. What do you What do you think about the price? Two thousand Two thousand bucks is the rumor. Uh, you know, I can't. I can't say that I like keep all of Nikon stuff in my head in terms of like how this fits into their lineup, and so I know some of it's going to come into that. But being a full frame camera having you know the z8 processor i mean it seems like pretty modern specs i think that's a reasonable price i mean full frame is not cheap and there aren't too many full frame options that would be less than that i mean you got the a7c the um what's the uh the canon one the r is uh, the, the r8 the r8 is the one that's 1500 yeah, so that, that would be the, the, that would be a big competitor yeah to this. so the r8 is probably the strongest competition to this but I don't know. I mean, it seems like a pretty reasonable price. So the Z6 II came out in 2020. So it's only about three years old at this point. And this is supposed to have the same sensor, but different processor. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to have more capabilities than that. Right. So like if you don't need the retro styling, you don't need some of those features, you could probably find a used Z6 Mark II for maybe $800 less than this thing. Yeah. So I mean, there's that. That's a big difference. Yeah. I do think the Z6 launched like maybe... 25 or 2300 so ideally like they come out with this and then they'll probably release finally like a z7 z6 mark 3 which mm-hmm. are going to be in their you know greater category yeah but i think the z8 sits around what like 3500 dollars, and the z9's like 5500 dollars or something something like that and so this is going to be their newest cheapest camera as far as full frame yeah I don't know. Makes sense to me. Yeah, I think two thousand bucks is probably about right. We'll see where it actually lands. Yeah, you know, this is all speculation, but yeah, is, is there a rumor on when we might see this come out? I think it's. I think it's like imminent. Okay. I think it's going to be. It might be by the time this episode releases. No, I don't think it's going to be that soon. Wait, how long? How far? How early? How ahead are we recording this thing, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's going to be in September. Okay, sometime. Yeah, not that long to wait then. Nope. 
Nope. Super exciting. Cool. Sounds good. Let's talk about something that, that was actually announced. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. And we've talked about audio a lot on this show recently with some of the DJI mic issues. And we talked about that Deity Theos and stuff. And this was really interesting because kind of like right in the middle of that, right as we're kind of talking about, you know, what, where do we go from here? Do we want to stick with DJI or not? Rode announced a new wireless pro and it's got some pretty interesting features. So what you're saying is they took the wireless go, they took the G off, put in a PR. Yeah. And now we're looking at the wireless pro. Just, just made a pro. Why didn't they call it the wireless GoPro? Oh, no, wait, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really confusing. I, I get it now. I think before we talk about this more, I think we should read this uh, this marketing bullet point that you've put in the show notes. Oh, yes, please. Yeah, here we go. Series 4, and that is the Roman numeral 4, 2.4 gigahertz digital transmission and propriety near-zero latency codec with 128-bit encryption. It delivers crystal clear, incredibly stable audio with a range of up to 260 meters wireless audio you can rely on in almost any recording application does that not sell you one daniel i mean this whole thing you're shut like up and take my money <laughs> i saw that the reason i put that in there was i saw 2.4 gigahertz and i was like nope <laughs> <laughs> you're putting pro in the name 2.4 gigahertz like, what, what is this garbage <laughs> but it's got 128 bit encryption lucas i don't i don't care <laughs> who like who who within the like 260 meters cares that much about what I'm recording on a mic that they need to capture the audio and then like steal it. I don't, what are we doing? (laughs) Yeah. I don't understand that feature. And yeah, I mean the 2.4 is the thing that really stands out to me about this because yeah, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the DJI issues and basically kind of what, what I discovered is that the 2.4 band is really crowded you got Wi-Fi on there a lot of video transmission systems, all that kind of stuff. And so you end up getting a lot of interference. And that's why a lot of the pro level stuff is at a lower pro, frequency. Pro. Yeah, the truly, the truly <laughs> pro level stuff is at like five fifty, yeah, well, like, you know, under under a gigahertz. Yeah, the thing that we the, the DD option that we were talking about will work between five fifty and nine sixty. Mm-hmm. So like it has some range in there. And then also it's at that lower spectrum, which is gonna be what's gonna go through like walls and stuff better so like you're gonna have a little more stability and it's less crowded yeah yeah and so i'm really not sure about that but i will say the thing that they've got going for them with this that i think is going to set this apart from options like the dji is that they are adding the 32-bit float recording on board mm-hmm. and that's a big improvement because i think the original wireless go didn't even have onboard recording no like, it does the, it yeah does. yes you're correct the wireless go does not have onboard recording. It is, you know, transfer like yeah. wireless only. Mm-hmm. And you can still get those for less than a hundred like a hundred bucks or something. Yeah. Great, great cheap option. The wireless go two has onboard they recording. Added it in that, but it was it was still like, you know, twenty four bit or whatever. Right. It's twenty four bit and but it does have the on on device backup. It doesn't really it didn't really come like with a case charging option or anything. It's right. kinda of like you had to put them in a sock or something. <laughs> yeah. That's how I. That's how I carry yeah, all are, my audio equipment. Yeah, around. no, they they shipped it with a pair of Bombas, and then you could just like put it in the sock. <laughs> not sponsored. <laughs> not sponsored. <laughs> uh, but this one, it looks like there's a little case for it. Maybe I think maybe I'm wrong about that. But like you can get it in a package, and it's got like the lab. It does the onboard recording, mm-hmm. and like let me run through some of these specs, man. It's like 32 bit 
They added time code jamming. It can do audio output over USB-C or 3.5, so you can use it with something that doesn't have a microphone jack. Like a phone. Like a phone. Or like your super expensive iPad that for some reason doesn't have a microphone what jack. What the hell? Why? Daniel, why does the iPad Pro not have a freaking headphone jack? I don't, like, seriously, like, what? They needed the space? Come on. It's not big enough. I just, it would have had to be so much bigger if they had done that. They made, they made a bump for the camera lens. <laughs> Why can't they make a... I just can't. We can't, we can't be having a headphone bump It's on that so iPad. stupid. I just... I want to be able to like take my Dynamic headphones and like plug it into my iPad and like do some pro stuff. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> so... You know, and then beyond that, like it, it's kind of like it has all the, the table stakes, right? Like it's got the onboard leveler. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a little little screw on the lab port, so you can like screw the lab on whenever you plug it in, Ooh, so it doesn't yeah, get pulled really out. Nice. So you know, it's pretty pretty good. I, right? I have a couple of questions about those features. So first off, that onboard leveling thing—they made a pretty big deal about that. I don't know exactly what that means. I guess it's some kind of automatic gain adjustment. I don't know how that interacts with 32-bit float. Because, I mean, it, it kind of sounds like it's just another marketing bullet point to say that you can't clip the audio. Well, almost certainly that the audio over transmission is not 32-bit. Sure. And it doesn't matter if it is because generally you're going to record that into a camera and the camera is not recording 32-bit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm reading the onboard levels like the screen that's on there, right? Like where you can see the levels and then you can like adjust your gain. Okay. Is there, is there something else that I'm missing? Well, I think that they mentioned something about like intelligent gain adjustment. Oh, so you can set it to like auto leveling. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I thought you meant. Okay. But I, I can see now you, you're probably talking about the receiver shows you the levels so that you yeah, can set yeah, the levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can like see your channels and that sort of sure. thing, which is that's that's super handy it if is. you're not in like an auto mode and you can like look yeah. at the back of your camera and you can see mm-hmm. the things bumping up and down. My other question on this is the time code. So they mentioned in their uh, marketing material for this when they were finished talking about 128-bit encryption, they mentioned that it, this supports timecode, and they talk about, you know, you can make sure that your audio is perfectly in sync with your video and, and all that. And I'm just kind of curious how that works because the the advantage on the Deity Theos is that it works with their timecode system. So Deity sells those TC1 boxes that you can plug into cameras or whatever, and you can wirelessly jam timecode across all these different devices, make sure everything's perfectly in sync, and I'm not exactly sure how that works on this system because, I mean, it's probably not using the Deity system. So I don't know if this means that you can jam your timecode signal like to the receiver or something and then it wirelessly like make sure that the transmitter is in sync with that. But, I mean, I think a lot of this comes down to me not having used timecode myself and not really understanding how it works. But I'm just not exactly sure what what they're selling there and like how that fits in with a larger system. Yeah. I mean, from what I understand, it's like you have your device and then it can either like, it's going to have its little time code thing on it, but you need something that sends that jams out to everything. That's like, Mm -hmm. this is the starting number when we start so they can all time code together. And like the way that they talk about this on their website is like, it says like, you don't need an expensive time code thing. So it sounds like this is going to do the jamming. And like maybe it's the time code thing and then it's jamming between itself and the camera. Well, I think that that's kind of what I concluded is that I think it's saying that your onboard audio and your camera's video are going to be time code synced together. But I guess where I where I lost the thread a little bit is I, 
What if you I, have a second camera? Yeah, and I, I immediately think of our interview setups where we have two sure. or three cameras, and I'm like, well, what about the other camera? And I don't know how this would work with that. Yeah, I, I mean, does Rode make like a time code deal that like would then pair with this? Because that it is fairly silent on the matter yeah. as far as like how that's supposed mm-hmm. to work. Because that's because that's to me like the reason I would be looking at the deity system is I I picture like we could get that. We could get one or two of those TC1 timecode boxes, and then like everything we're shooting could be synced together. So like all three cameras could be timecode synced with the onboard audio. That sounds great. That's the dream. This thing sounds, I mean, it it sounds better than not having it. Like having the onboard audio be synced with the video does sound useful. Like I won't complain about that, but it it's a little bit less of a selling point. So I'd like to learn more about that and understand what what they're actually doing there. Yeah, and like this is this has been announced, but similar to the deity thing, it's like it hasn't been reviewed and it's mm-hmm. not out and no yeah. one's actually touched or held this thing or like seen how well it works yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And I think it is coming out pretty soon. I I didn't see it in the original announcement, so I actually asked them on uh the the app formerly known as Twitter and they said that the price is going to be $400 and they said it was going to be shipping at the end of August. So probably by the time you hear this episode, Dang. it will be shipping according to what they say. So isn't the deity Thanos, I know that's not what it's called, comes out like September? Yeah, there's a September 15th. So it's funny that Rode announced this thing and then is actually going to beat deity to market with it. Oh yeah, I mean they probably had it developing in similar timeline, but they wanted they wanted to own that August time frame. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think they wanted to hit that uh you know, I mean, obviously they wanted to beat deity to market with this, but when I when I look at this, this to me feels like it's a different market than what the deity thing is going after. This seems like a competition against the the DJI mic. Yes. And well, does that mean like DJI is going to come out with a new version of their mic or something? I mean, they sure could. Theirs has been out for quite a while at this point. It feels like DJI has gotten on this real like Apple style kick of feeling like they have to release a new version of everything every mm-hmm. year. And I'm talking about like the, the Osmo action cams and the drones. And those are like on a 12 month cycle at this point. It does feel that way. But I mean, with with this and, and honestly, before right now, I would still have said that the DJI mic was probably like the right lower end wireless choice. There have been right. a couple of things that have come out recently that seem like good competition and are actually cheaper. So like the Hollyland Lark Max is one that I've seen recently that actually looks really good. And I think it's cheaper than the than the DJI. But, you know, when you're talking like in that $300-ish range, the DJI has really seemed like the best option. But now that this is coming out, if you want those two transmitters, you're looking at 330 for the DJI or 400 for this. Mm-hmm. I would for sure pick this because you do get the time code option. You get that 32-bit onboard uh, audio recording, which is nice. And, I mean, you know, the issues I've had with DJI recently, I, I would be more inclined to go with this road option uh in that price range yeah and it seems like like if you get the pack or whatever for this dji thing i think it comes with the lav you're talking about the road the road sorry the road i think comes with the i lav. do yeah i do think it comes with one whereas the dji does not and mm-hmm. also you have to have very specific labs yeah and the road wireless go to brand new was like Three hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and and it didn't come with a laugh. And so, like, you have that one at three hundred, and then you have the DJI at like three thirty, and then you have this thing at four hundred. Yep. And it's like once you account for like all of the accessories, I mean, you buy a, a decent laugh, it's going to cost you fifty to seventy bucks. Yeah. And so, 
to me, it's like, this is a direct replacement for the Wireless Go 2. And then they put Pro in the name because you have to. And it's essentially a direct competitor slash replacement for the Go 2 and then to the DJI as far I as I agree. And, and I think the price is good. I think the price makes sense because it, it really puts this right in the middle of, you know, some the lower end stuff. And it's like a little more expensive than that, but it's not as expensive as getting like a Sure or a Sony or a Deity like right. pro level, truly pro level system. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, I feel like with the Deity coming out with their super hot 32 bit on board, blah, 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 wireless system and the other kind of was like, oh, wow, this is, this is like super cool. And like, it's the, it's the jam. Like this is what you want. And then there's nothing in between. Like there wasn't anything cheaper than that. Yeah. And so them coming in at a thousand dollar price point, maybe they were going to scoop up some of like the cheaper, like YouTube lower cost production stuff. And, and like people were just going to spend the extra $600 and like get that. Maybe I don't, I don't know. Maybe people were just going to buy the DJI because it was too expensive. Maybe so. So I can't tell if this is an actual competitor actually stealing any market from the deity or people are going to recognize that this is not actually like a pro level product. Yeah. And they're going to go to the deity whenever I mean that, for what they need. That's what it is for me. I, I do think there's a market for stuff like this. If you and I were just shooting our own YouTube videos, if we were you know just kind of doing projects for fun, I would never be looking beyond like this level of thing for a lap mic because when I shoot something myself, if I need to re-record it, it's probably not the end of the world. Like I, you know, that's not that's not a big deal. And some of the benefits you get, like how small these things are, having the charging case, stuff like that, are really big advantages. And I mean, ultimately, I just wouldn't want to spend that much money on it. And the only reason that I feel like we've been looking at some of these higher end things is because we are doing paid work. We're doing things that people are counting on us for and that we've committed to and scheduling with other people. It's not as easy to reshoot. And and I mean, I think that that's it's a pretty clear like use case for why you can have both of these products in the market. So, right. yeah, I don't, I don't really see this as competing against the higher end systems. I definitely see it as competing against stuff like the DJI mic. Yep. I, th- I don't see us, I don't see us getting one of these. I think that whenever we upgrade our lab system, it's going to be to something like the DD, something that runs on a, on a lower megahertz, you know, lower transmission spectrum, something that yeah. having the 32 bit would be really, really nice. And then something that's like maybe a little more proven, maybe a little more reliable, which the Theos hasn't come out yet. It's mm-hmm. so like we can't actually say that about that microphone. We're just assuming yeah. because of like where the target market is and the fact that they announced it at NAB rather than like here's just our little thing. And so I kind of think that's a wait and see still mm-hmm. for whenever it comes out. But to me, something in that higher price bracket that's more geared towards like interviews and uh, like commercial stuff. That's definitely going to be where we end up. I yeah, think. I, I, I think I'm just going to skip over this uh, over this Rode Pro. Yeah. But I do think this is a really interesting option. I think Rode has some pretty good brand recognition as far as their audio gear. For sure. And I'm hoping that this one doesn't isn't plagued with the reliability problems of the DJI mics after you've had them for a while. Yeah, I agree. And unfortunately, long term reliability. Yeah, this hasn't come out yet, so it, it's going to be a year or two before we really know the answer mm-hmm. on that. Yep. But yeah, I mean, Rode is a good company. I think people have been generally happy with the Rode uh, Wireless Go and Go 2, so they've got a good track record on this stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's got some good features. 
Yeah, this is it is very interesting. I I'm a little annoyed by it being like Wireless Pro. I don't know if that means that they're going to have like a Wireless Go 3 or they're just going to keep selling the Go 2 for 200 and or sorry for $300 and then here's this one at $400, but yeah. We'll see. Yeah, it could it could get confusing, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and I I do want to know how that time code jamming thing works. Yeah. Yeah, time code something that I I really want to learn about just because I mean, you know, we're we're into camera gear. We yeah. like we like kind of nerding out on this stuff. And so some of it's just curiosity of how it works. Mm-hmm. But I also see that being used on so many professional shoots and, you know, kind of naively. I'm like, well, what, you know, we, we managed to sync audio just fine. Mm-hmm. Like, why, why do you, why do you need all this? But it seems like there's gotta be a reason. And I just feel like, even though I kind of understand what it is, there's so much I don't know about it. I really want to understand that better on play with some of it. I mean, I think, I think we know the reason and it's like, it makes it easier to sync all the stuff up. And then like, if you're shoot doing like days and days of shoots, being able to you know, jam all that together. And then like knowing that that is baked into the files, mm-hmm. that's going to make it a lot that's easier true. too. Cause it's going to make, so you can like sort things through the entire shoot and that sort of stuff. I will say it's sometimes frustrating on our music video shoots where, you know, when we start pulling things in, we end up with a lot of files and you can't sync a video file on, so at a subframe level, yep. right? Like you're 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 limited to that, and so right. Well, that's a that's a. Uh, I think that's a resolve thing. I guess not. Like if you're time, if you have a frame in a video, you can't like subframe it. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. I don't think you could yeah. ever get it more precise than that. And so one advantage to time code is I think that things would just all start at the exact same right deal. Yeah, yeah. You can have it like push the frame so that they they do all start on the same I, like. Yeah. Division of a second. I assume that's how that works. Like it I is, said, that I don't is, know. That is how that works uh, as far as like what I've researched into it. But I think like we're at the point where we just need to start doing time code stuff and then we'll be experts. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be cool to learn, I think. Yeah. But, but we're just going to have to get time codes, Daniel. Yeah. I guess so. Stuff's so expensive, man. I know, but like we need like seven of them. <laughs> that, that's why it's expensive. If, yeah. we, if we just had to buy two, you know, for our two cameras, that wouldn't be that bad. But I think about doing those music videos mm-hmm. and like, well, you can't go halfway. No, mm-hmm. you need all of them. And then I'm going to have to go out there and buy a clapper board that has time code built <laughs> into it because that's awesome. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> that deity thing's so cool. It's like a thousand dollars, though. Yeah. We're just going just, just to have to do it, Daniel. Yeah. going to have to do it. Cool. So that's the wired, wired, the Rode Wireless Pro. They shouldn't just call it the Wireless Pro Go. A wireless Rode Pro GoPro. Yes, whatever. One. Should be coming out soon. Okay, great. Yep. Well, we've talked about a lot of different gear things today, um, spanning from some super hipster monochrome camera all the way through uh, Rode wireless semi-pro things. You got anything else you want to cover? It's a niche artisan hand-built French camera, Daniel. <laughs> I really don't know where to go from there. <laughs> Maybe that's it. <laughs> <laughs> think we'll leave you with that mental image of a small French man building a small APS-C camera and selling it for a lot of money. I feel like it's a decent price. Like, for what it is. <laughs> 2,700 euros. I mean. It's pretty high. I mean, it's, it's a not, lot of It's not like it crazy high. Lucas, it doesn't have a screen. Screen, screens are a crutch just like autofocus you gotta be one with the photography Daniel that's it for the show today 
Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week.